studying the harvest season, especially as this is the time of year as we come into the fall season, that we will be uh, harvesting the grain in, in many parts of America now. That's what they're doing. They're, they're harvesting the grain. Amen. And we are going to be looking for the spiritual harvest. A spiritual harvest. Amen. And so this is our third lesson this month on the harvest. And I'm talking about the harvest year. There is a season. The Bible speaks about it. Just there's a season for everything. A time to be born. A time to dance. A time to weep. A time to mourn. And whatever you're going through, it's just a season. It's not going to last forever. Amen. It's a season. You're not going to be in that season forever. Amen. Hallelujah. In John chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus expressed that. He said, Say not ye that there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white, already to, to harvest. You know, sometimes we're thinking that the coming of the Lord is far away, because we've heard it all of our lives. And yet, it's, he's going to come, the Bible says, as what? A thief in the night. And what we're going to look at is that today. And we're going to be looking at that. Sometimes I take for granted when I get behind here that everybody knows what I'm talking about. So I'm going to, I'm going to break it down to real basics today. Amen. Because not everyone understands or, or has been shown from the Bible what we're talking about. And this thing is called the rapture. The catching away. Amen. Jesus came the first time to earth to take back the kingdom of the grave, to, to destroy the one who had the power over death. The Bible tells us that when we come to Christ, we are passed from death unto life. That is, yes, this physical body may decay, may, 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 may turn to dust, but the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that he's got another place, another body, another vessel prepared and we're going to read that and and look into this concept of the catching away the rapture today in John 14 verse 3 he's well let me start off from verse 1 he says let not your heart be troubled you know today men's hearts are troubled you look at the economy you look at you look at the the world situation and right now it doesn't look like it's getting better it looks like it's getting a little worse he said, he started off in John 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Amen. I've had the opportunity to go into some mansions. Amen. I visited some palaces. But they will not compare. They will not compare to heaven. They will not compare to the kingdom of God. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. Those of you who have been serving God five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, listen, now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to draw back because you are so close. You are so, you are so much closer than when you first began. Verse 3 of John 14, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you 
unto myself. This is what we're talking about. Jesus told him, yes, he was going to go away. After he conquered the kingdom of the grave, after he was crucified and went into hell, the Bible said he proclaimed or preached unto the spirits that were there and he released the righteous dead. Amen. But he's coming back again for this kingdom, this earthly kingdom. And he says, if I go, if I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That is our hope. It seems so mystical and completely mind-blowing that one day, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, will suddenly disappear. It's so mind-blowing. How could that possibly be? How could such an event happen? And I'm sure back in Noah's days, they were saying the same thing. How could it possibly be that there could be this thing called rain, and it could come and bring a flood and everyone be destroyed. How could that possibly be? And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that Noah preached for over 120 years while he was building the ark. And it seemed like a fanciful tale that something could happen like that. But Jesus himself said, as in the days of Noah, people were just going about their lives as if nothing was really changing. Nothing was happening. He says they were marrying and giving to marriage until the flood came and took them away. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming back. That is one of our, 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 our rock bottom beliefs and teachings. Because scripture says, if in this life alone we had hope, we would be of all men most miserable. If this was it, if this was all it was, then we could have a right to be miserable and depressed. But no, this is just the birth pangs. This is just the travail. This is not the, the new kingdom yet. Jesus told Pilate, this, if this were my kingdom, then my servants would fight. Amen. He says, I, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there he may be also. Amen. In Mark chapter 13 and verse 29, he says, the scripture says, So in like manner, when he shall see these things come to pass, Jesus started to brief them on some of the, the things that were going to happen before his second coming. He was telling them of the earthquakes and the famines and the wars and the rumors of wars and all the horrible things that would be happening. He said, so when you start to see the beginning of these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, meaning know that it is nearby. Know that it is not far away, even at the doors. Now, when something is at the doors, that's close. That's very close. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for we know not when the time is. We we don't know exactly when the time will be, right? We, we can't say when it will be. But we know that the scripture tells us that it could be soon. It could be soon. He says, at the door. This, is, this in the scripture, in the Greek, is called the hapazo, which means the, the catching away. And we call it today the rapture. But that's what it's speaking about, that the Lord is going to come and take away his people. Amen. Amen. That's what scripture has promised us. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are what? Many mansions. Not a few, many mansions. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will 
come again. He went on to say, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. To us, you know, our, our lifespan is so short, especially if you're over 50. You know that now, right? You know you probably have less to go than you have been. Once you cross, the, and certainly when you cross the 60, for sure you you know that your days are numbered, right? Amen. We were talking to some ministers yesterday. Uh, um, at, they had a pastor's installation, and we, we went, and we were talking. to They, they seat us at all the old people's tables. <laughs> you know, they, they try to group people together of like men. So when I looked and sat down, I saw everybody was, you know, up there. <laughs> So we started to talk about that, you know, and, and um, I think everybody at my table was at least over 50 for sure, and we were talking about the old days. You know when you're old when you're talking about the old days. But really, our lifespan is really, the Bible says, just a breath. What prompted me, we were talking about grandchildren, and some of them at the table, one lady, she has a 26-year-old grandson or granddaughter. That means she's very close to getting a great. And I know, Sister Mary, you've got a great, haven't you? Three greats. Amen. Wow. That's something. I, I was I was trying to calculate if the Lord tarry whether I would make it to get a great. I think my oldest grandchild is 12. So maybe, maybe if we can hang on another 10, 15 years. Amen. Maybe we will see our great. My father did get to live to see her, her when she was five months, and he got to see his great. But really, our lifespan is but a vapor. It's not really that long. And, you know, we get so impatient because God has not done stuff when we want him to. You know, in our looking of things, it's got to be now. But God is looking over the time span of eternity, and he has a plan. As I taught a few weeks ago, everything happens at the appointed time. God has got an appointed time. He has got a, 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 an actual spot on the time scale. That's what he said here. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not even the angels which are in heaven. Neither the Son but the Father. Take he heed. That's why we have to watch. That's why we have to be in expectation. I am sure, I am sure, if you knew the date, you would live your life differently. I am sure if you knew the date, you would live here. If you for sure knew it was next Monday, I could tell exactly what you guys would be doing. None of you would be going to work. <laughs> you'd, you'd be asking me, can, can, can you open the church tomorrow morning? <laughs> if you knew for sure, if you knew for sure that it was at sunset, Next week, Sunday. I wouldn't be going to work this week. <laughs> I wouldn't be going to work this week. The Bible says we should make our calling and election sure. I don't think I could have enough seats in here if everybody knew for sure. Sunset on Sunday, the 25th of September, at the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, that the trumpet was going to blow. We would live our lives so differently. We would be thinking, is there anyone I need to say sorry to? Is there someone I haven't told them that I love them? Is there someone I need to encourage? Is there a, a relative I've never really witnessed to? 
Is there someone that doesn't know that what I believe? How different we would live our lives. And that just shows us really where we are at. Really, it shows us where we are at because the truth is that's how we should be living our lives. You know, I, I taught the PI class yesterday and we were talking about the 12 apostles. And the thing about the 12 apostles that's very interesting that they are elevated in such a way. God has given them specific promises. It says in the New Jerusalem, the gates of the city are going to be named after the 12 apostles. And the question is, why? What makes them so special? And I asked the class this. I said, can you think of why it would be that they would be so elevated that the names of the gates... And, you know, someone said, and this is what I agree with, Jesus went by them. And he said, come follow me. You know what the scripture says they did? Immediately. Imagine, you're at work tomorrow, and some preacher comes by and says, come follow me. You would look them up and down. <laughs> you, would, you, you would put on a face like, who are you? <laughs> they must have had such faith they must have had such faith. They must have absolutely believed this is the Messiah. Andrew went and ran and told his brother Peter, we have found him. This is the guy. This is who we've been waiting for. Bible said immediately. They had such faith. And they left what they were doing. See, this shows us where we are because we can't, a lot of us even show up at church on Sunday. That's for those who are watching on the stream, okay? <laughs> That's for those of you on the internet land. It said immediately, they left their nets and followed him. This is what God, what, I believe this is what's going to take. I told the class yesterday, the early church went through some testing. They went through torture. They went through all kinds of things. We, if someone looks at us, we, we, we think we've been through a bad time. Man, he did. I'm going to get in trouble. I better shut up. I'm going to shut up. Let me get back to the lesson. Take ye heed and watch and pray. For ye know not when the time is. As I said, next week Sunday at sunset begins that um, fifth feast. Feast of trumpets. Wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't that be something? Take heed. That means listen up. Pay attention. Look what's happening in the world. When we get, we can't say to God, you took me by surprise. I didn't see this coming. I didn't know it was, I didn't, I thought it was still another 10 years. I thought I had time to go bury my dead and get married and do this and I thought I had lots of time to get right with God. Take heed. Watch and pray for he know not when the time is. In Mark 13, 34, he continues, he says, for the son of man, he gives a parable, he, he gives a story to explain how it's going to be. He says, for the son of man, this is a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants. Who's that? Us. If, you, if you're given authority, that means there's stuff you're supposed to do. If you're given authority, that means that you have been commanded to do some things who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work. I guess a good, 
good uh, preaching sermon would be, what's your work? <laughs> what's your work? Do you know it? And if you know it, are you doing it? Who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work. There's a job for me and there's a job for you. Our jobs may not be the same, but we all have been given at least one gift. And commanded the porter to watch. Someone was at the door who had to watch out and start to give the warning. When the master was going to return. Watch ye therefore, for he know not when the master of the house cometh. It could be at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, that's in the morning. Lest coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. Just going through life, just going through the motions. You know, you come to church, you sing a song, you get up, you clap, you go home. Get your clothes ready for tomorrow, go watch the, the, the football tonight. You're just going through the mouth, sleeping. Watch ye therefore, know not when the master of the house cometh. Could be at even, or at midnight, or at cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And I'm putting a lot of scriptures because I said I wanted to go back to basics. What is it, this rapture thing? Why are we expecting this to happen? Why? Because... The Bible, the New Testament tells us it's our promise. It's our inheritance. It's going to be the greatest event since Jesus came. It's going to, I think it's going to change this planet. If, 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 if maybe millions of people disappear, uh, the next day is not going to be the same. The next day is not going to be the same. Matthew 24, 30, and then shall appear... The sign of the Son of Man. You know, at his first coming, there was a sign. But only some wise men could see it. Only some wise men figured out, this means the king has been born. And it took them a while to find him, but they were diligent. They didn't give up. The Bible says that there shall be a sign. I don't know what it is. But the Bible says there's going to be a sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds. That means from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west. And from one end of heaven to another. This is our hope. This is our promise. This is why I've grown up in this church. This is why I've been in church nearly every single Sunday that the doors have been open. But you know, God is so merciful. Even if you haven't been in church your whole life. Jesus told the parable of the people who got hired with one hour left. Guess what? They got the same pay. They got the same pay. You see, it's he that endureth to the end. Don't let distractions in our life, don't let cares of life, don't let things that in the grand scheme don't meet, amount to, as my pastor used to say, a hill of beans. <laughs> things that in the end won't matter. If you knew 
If you knew that it was next week or next year, we would certainly live our lives differently. You know, we would start to go down the list of things that we would start to prioritize. What's really important? What's really important? Haven't talked to that person 20 years ago since we, we fell out. <laughs> I better call them and make it right. I want to make sure there is nothing that's going to stop me hearing my name. This is God's plan of redemption from the beginning as I've been teaching and I called the, the thing about the gardener. This was his plan that he is going to come and collect his people. He is not going to allow his people to suffer wrath. The Bible says he has not appointed the church unto wrath. That means his judgment is going to fall on this planet, but it's not going to fall on his bride. Not going to fall on his bride. You know, we've had two funerals in the last two months, and the scripture that we always read there is, is also from 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. I want to be changed. I'm, I'm experiencing. <laughs> you know, that's, that's my constant prayer is change me, Lord. Because I see the things in me that need to change. But the promise is that we are going to get that prayer answered. It says, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Amen. I, I used to wonder what old age was about. And I'm sorry I keep talking about that now. You young'uns don't understand. <laughs> but it's the strangest thing when you wake up in the morning now. And where I, where I really detect it is when I have to go downstairs. And I bend my leg and, <laughs> and I feel like, wow. You know, you look at a four-year-old that's running up and down the stairs like that and no pain, no nothing. I bend my leg and it's creaking and, and there's like, hmm, that's not right. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. We shall all be changed. The Bible says that the, the, the glory of the terrestrial does not compare to the, to the glory of the celestial. And, and Paul, trying to explain this mystery, says, you look at an acorn and you compare it to an oak tree. And you can't see how this little thing could turn into that little thing. That's how God is going to do. He's going to change us into his likeness. So that when we see him, we shall be like him. Just as he did on the Mount of Transfiguration where he unveiled himself. And his garments turned so bright that they couldn't look on him. That's the promise. He says, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, as fast as you can blink. Something is going to happen in this world. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. Next week, the Jews celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. They blow the shofar. And they blow it during that day several times. And at the very last, they, they do what they call the last trump. The Bible speaks about that in this verse. It says, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. While we were sitting at the table, one of the pastors asked me, what do you think about cremation? 
And I said, I don't really care. <laughs> you can, in fact, I, had, I shouldn't say this. I had told my wife, you do it. Keep the money. Whatever's cheapest. Because I got a new buddy. <laughs> and he was telling me, well, you know, some people don't think that that's good. And I said, well, here's this thing. Back in the early days of the church, do you know that many Christians were burned at the stake? So if God has a problem with resurrecting them, and I know he doesn't, he has no problem with cremation. He's got a new body, not the same body, a new body. Now, I'm, I'm not advocating anyway because this dust must go back to dust. But here's what it says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. The Bible speaks that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. It was the first thing that was brought into creation through Adam and Eve's disobedience by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, taking their own judgment over God. God said, who told you you were naked? I didn't. Who told you that? You see, they now had gained independent judgment apart from God. See, when God declares something, he can declare it because he calls those things that are not as though they be. He calls you perfect. I know that's hard to, to believe, but he declares us perfect. Why? Because we've taken the first step. We're coming out of Ur of the Chaldees. We're headed to the promised land. He said to Abraham, walk before me and I declare you perfect and be thou perfect. It wasn't a question. It was a declaration. Walk before me and be thou perfect. God declares us perfect. Amen. That's what Romans tells us. So we are looking forward. And this is the promise of the harvest. The gardener's plan is that he's going to take us out of here. Amen. In Matthew 13, and I know I read this last week, it says he told the four parables. And the story was, of course, that the the evil one came and sowed some weeds. God is not the only one doing some planting. But God is the one who's going to do the uprooting. <laughs> he said, no plant that my heavenly father hath not planted is going to be rooted up. Rooted up. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, it's not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tears? Where did, where did these weeds come from? I'm going to skip. He goes down to verse 30. He says, let both grow together. That's why this world is going to be wicked. There's a lot of weeds out there. Let both grow together until the gardener's time of harvest. The rapture. In the time of harvest, I will, get, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So I've taken a long time to talk about this one thing, the rapture. This is our foundation. This is our hope. Because that's what he told Nicodemus. Except you be born of the water and of the spirit, you can't see and you can't enter that kingdom. But if you are born of the water and of the spirit, amen, he's going to say, welcome in. He's going to call your name. Just as in Revelation 4, John says he saw a door open in heaven. And he heard a voice saying, come up hither. 
I'm waiting for that voice to say, come up hither. I'm not looking to have any 10-year plan or whatever. My only investment that I'm hoping for is in Christ. No 401k plan. If, if you did have a 401k plan, and I do have one, little as it is, I looked at it yesterday and it's down 22%. 22%. Instead of going up, it's going down. But you know the reverse is going to happen when Jesus calls, I'm going up. <laughs> and I'm not coming down except it's with him. Amen. That's why we study. The Bible says study to show yourself approve a workman that's not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. And so we're going to study. I said all of this to get to the main lesson. That was just the, that was just the entree. <laughs> that was the entree. I wanted to go back to basics. What is, why are we here? Because we believe in the second coming of Christ to take us out of here. Amen. Because we are his bride. We are his church. We are his beloved. Amen. I put this on the screen because I'm going to go through this very slowly. And I told you that God gave the Jews all these ceremonies, these seven feasts, to represent his plan of salvation. In fact, they're called out in, in Daniel chapter 9, and maybe on a Tuesday night I will go into more detail. And we have those seven feasts up there, and they all represent part of his plan of salvation. And of the seven feasts, I told you three of them were harvest festivals. So the first one, of course, you all know is Passover. And that's in Exodus 12 when Moses told them that you were to take in a lamb on the 10th day and you were to keep it till the uh, evening of the 14th day. And at that evening you would kill it and you would kill it and be eating it with your clothes on, your bags packed, ready to go. They were to wait until a certain time, but they had to be ready to go. Anything that happened if you weren't ready, you had to leave it behind. Do you understand that? You can't take some of this on a journey when you're going into the desert. You're going to have to leave it behind. Anything that you're going to be tied onto, that means you're going to stay in Egypt. Moses told him, you, you eat with your coat on, your bags packed, and be ready to go. That is the message. Be ready to go because at midnight, the death angel was going to pass over and, and Pharaoh was going to have to let you go. Satan is going to have to let the church go. No grave is going to hold my body down, is what the song says. And that was fulfilled in that lamb that they sacrificed in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, in the redemption. 1 Corinthians uh, 5.7, he became our redeemer, the redemption lamb for our souls. And then on the second day, they were told that when you, when you cook the bread for the next seven days, you, you'll be on a journey. You don't have time to make any fancy meals. You just take some dough and water, and that's going to be your bread, unleavened bread. Make sure it doesn't have any leaven, because leaven represented sin. And so that was fulfilled in Exodus 12, 15, and 20. That was God showing them this plan. They didn't have written Bibles, but God was showing them in these commemorations and in these ceremonies, his eventual plan. And of course, that was fulfilled again in the Old Testament through the, the bread that was put on the table, the 12 loaves of bread that were to be fed to the priests. And in the New Testament, that was also fulfilled because he fed the, the thousands twice. The first time it was with two fish, 
and five barley loaves. The second time, it was with seven loaves. Total, 12. Total, 12. See, the Bible, he told his disciples at the beginning of his ministry, except you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part. You see, he is that bread that came down. He fulfilled that. He was the sinless son of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And that was fulfilled literally at his death. And on the night before he was arrested, the Bible said he took bread and broke it and blessed it and said, this is my body that was broken for you. Take, eat. As often as you do this, you do show forth remembrance of me and my death. Then he took the cup in the same manner and gave thanks and blessed. This is my blood in the New Testament. And he shared it amongst them. And so that was literally fulfilled. And then on, uh, he was crucified. First he was whipped and brutalized. They tore out his, his beard. They, they put a crown of thorns and pressed it into his head. And whipped him 39 times with a, with a, 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 a whip that had nine tails with, with, the, with the bones and the stones and the metal in it so that it ripped out his skin. But on the third day, on the third day, you know, the angel came to roll away the stone, not to let him out, but just to show he had already gone. He didn't need no help. He said, I lay down my body. No man take it from me. And I have power to take it back up again. The stone was rolled away just for our benefit. Just to show that he had gone. He became the first fruits of them that were going to die and to be resurrected never to die again. All of the 11 people in the Bible that came back from the dead up to that point Eventually, they died again. Right? Last one being Lazarus. But Jesus was the first one in a human form who died, came back, never to die again. Being the first fruits. I told you, as we finished our worship, to give a wave to God. Because we are the first fruits. They were to take the loaf of barley... And they were to, sorry, the, the, the sheaf of barley representing the harvest. And they were to bring it to the temple and they were to wave it and give it symbolically to God. Let's wave our hands. Lord, I give you my body. I give you myself. I want to be in that first fruits. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, that's what's fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead said early in the morning before it was light, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And she got there first. And no one was in there. She got very distressed. She couldn't see him. But you know who she met? The gardener. She met the gardener. It's fitting that she met the gardener because it was his plan. The Bible says if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Question is, do we believe that? 
So he became the first fruits, amen, of the barley. And he was not alone in Matthew 25, 28. It says, and the graves were opened. And many saints came out of the grave and were seen. Were seen by many. We're going to get into that. And then two and a half months later, 50 days later, on Pentecost, thank you. The only time I cry is when I'm reading God's word. I don't think much else makes me cry, but God's word changed me. It changed me. Two and a half months later, in the Jewish month called Sivan, which means their covering, God gave the covering. And there came a sound from heaven in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, as of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled all the house. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And then they began to speak in other tongues as the Lord gave utterance. So Pentecost was literally fulfilled because in the Old Testament they were told to count 49 days. And they were told to bring the wheat offering now. Passover was the barley Pentecost was the wheat. They were to bring the wheat. This time, they were to bake two two loaves of bread with leaven and to offer it to the priest again. Amen. That's in Leviticus 23, 15, 22. And of course, that's us. We come as we are. We don't try and fix ourselves up because to be truthful, we cannot. Paul in Romans 7 says that the, he sees, therefore, there are two, a law working in us and it says that the carnal law is enmity with God. It says it's, and it cannot be subject to the law of God. God has already discounted the fact that we are useless. <laughs> He's already discounted them because he said that in Genesis. In Genesis 8 when Noah came out of the ark and made an offering, he said, I will no longer curse the earth because man's heart is wicked from his youth. So God already knows we have no total control. Now that's not an excuse to go willfully sin. Oh no, that's not what, what I'm saying. And that's not what Paul is saying. He said, should we sin so that grace can abound? No. God forbid. God forbid. No. But we have to fight this flesh. Yes, sometimes it will get the better of us. But we have to fight it. We can never give in and say it's okay because I'm human. No, that, that will not wash. We, when we fight this flesh, then the grace of God covers our faults and failures. But if we willfully sin, the Bible says there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. We have to be always fighting this flesh. And that's why Paul in Romans 7, so with the inner man, I serve the law of God. With the inner man, we always in our intents, in our desires, should want to do the right thing. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. It is our help me to guide us. The Bible says when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will do what? I told the class yesterday and I told you guys too. I can't understand Christians who say they don't, they can't tell if something is true. You need to go and pray and ask God. He said, ask and it will be given. You should be able to discern what is true and what is false. When you hear something said... The spirit in you should be able to give you counsel and witness where it's from. Amen. And then we come to the feast that's 
going to be celebrated next next year. They in the Jewish uh, in the in Israel they call it Rosh Hashanah. Hashanah means year, and Rosh means chief or head. So it's the head of the year or the first day of the secular Jewish year, and that's the only feast that falls on the first day of the month. All the rest, all the rest fall on different days, but it's the first day of Tishri, next week at sunset on Sunday. And that is a very special feast. All of them are special and in God's plan, but that one is very special because there's not much said about it. It's almost like it's a secret, an unknown day. And the way they determine this feast is they go out and they look for the new moon, the first crescent moon. And when the two witnesses say they both see the, the crescent moon that begins the first day of the month and the first day of the year of Tishri. And that, of course, is yet to be fulfilled. But in Israel, every year on the first of Tishri, they would blow the shofar, the ram's horn. And that's in Leviticus 23 to 35. God gave them all these precise, precise instructions so that they would commemorate all these prophetic steps that we get to witness being fulfilled. So someday in the future here, Matthew 24 to 29, the trump of God is going to sound. The last trump. And the dead in Christ shall arise first. And then it says, and that we that remain. That's the most important word right there. A lot of people have come and gone. Come and looked, but they have not remained. It's we that are alive and remain. If you had left the ark, you'd have gotten killed. When God opened the door and you went in, he shut it, you had to remain. We that are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the rapture, together with them in the air. And then the Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen. And then the last two feasts are also really great you know, I want to say one is better than the other, but I can't because they're all, they all have their purpose. Atonement is the one that fixes the sin problem. It's the one that totally fixes the sin problem. And it was modeled in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, which the Jews call Yom Kippur, or the, the Day of Atonement, plural. The high priest would start off the day, of course, he had been inside the tabernacle or the temple for seven days. He he couldn't see or touch anyone for seven days because he had to be ceremonially perfect or else he could not officiate the ceremony. So he would go and seclude himself for seven days away from the people. Just like what Jesus has done. Secluded himself away from the people. But on the Day of Atonement, when all Israel would gather before the tabernacle, he would first come out he would take off his priestly, beautiful priestly robes, all that blue garments and all the, the breastplate and the miter, and he would put on a plain white linen. Then he would kill a bull for a sin offering for himself. Before he could even start the ceremony, he had to offer a sin offering for himself. And he would take that blood and he would go all the way in the first time and offer it before the Ark of the 
covenant. And he had to have some bells, some pomegranate bells on the hem of his garments and they would tie a rope around his waist. And the Levites in the outer part would have to be outside that curtain. Only he could go beyond that veil. And I can imagine Israel waiting to hear that the bells were still ringing and that the sacrifice was accepted. Then he would come out and then he would take the two goats that they had chosen. One which they cast lot on. One was going to be sent out into the desert. The other one was going to be killed. And he would take his hand and lay his hand on the goat. The Bible tells us very precisely what kind of goat. It was of, the, uh, of a year old, unblemished, of the, a kid of the goats or of the lamb. And he would lay his hand upon the goat and he would pronounce all the sins of Israel on the goat. And then that goat would be taken as far away from the camp as they could possibly take it. Then the other goat was killed and that blood was taken into the altar of incense. And he would then take the incense off of the altar and pour it on that and there would be a steam that would come off. And then he would go behind the altar once more and sprinkle it seven times on the, on the ground and before the Ark of the Covenant. Then he would come out and he would have to be baptized again. He would take off his clothes and baptize himself again. And then he would come out and then he would do a, a, the sign over Israel. You know, they stole that for Star Trek. But really, this is the sign. It's the, it's, the, it's the shin. And it's the first letter for the name of one of the names of God. And he would raise his hand over the people of Israel. And he would pronounce the name of God. We really don't know how it's pronounced. Now we say it's Jehovah, but they really don't know what the vowels were that was said. And he would pronounce, call the name over the people of Israel. You know the name we do know now is Yeshua. And when we go down in that tank, that name is called over you. And your sins are remitted. Amen. Come on, I think that deserves an amen. Not to me, but to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. So in Leviticus it describes that ceremony and that other goat with all the sins, they were, I can imagine, they, they watched that goat go as far, and immediately that goat was out of sight. What it meant is that they, they were, had no more sins. But in the book of Hebrews, it reveals to us, though, that that was only temporary, because it says the blood of bulls and goats could not permanently take away sins. They had to keep doing it over and over, until the true fulfillment came. John, in his vision of heaven, he said, he said he saw one sitting on a throne with a scroll. And no one was found worthy to open it. And the Bible says he wept. But then one of the elders came unto him and said, John, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed and is able to open the scroll. And he said he looked and he saw, as it were, a lamb slain. But this lamb had horns. You see, God was now fulfilling the atonement ceremony. But the beautiful thing about this is that we get to watch it. Instead of Israel, we, the church, get to watch this 
conclusion of the atonement ceremony. And then, of course, the last one is when God makes his dwelling place with us. Amen. It says, and I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, adorned as a bride, coming down. To commemorate the hard times and the facts that they were living in temporary dwellings. On the 15th day of Tishri, God commanded them that for seven days they would go and live outside and make a booth. Get some palm palm trees and make a temporary dwelling place. Commemorating their temporary travel in the wilderness. You understand that that's where we are now? This is a temporary dwelling. It's just, the Bible says if this tabernacle of this tent should disappear, Paul says, I have a I have a home, I have a new place, permanent in the heavens, reserved for me. You know when you're going somewhere and you, you, you call up the hotel, you make a reservation, and, and they give you the code, that means it's reserved for you. When you go and show up, all you have to do is give them your name. And they say, oh, thank you, so-and-so, it's on, here's your, here's your key. There is a home reserved in the heavens for you and for me. And then... The final chapter of Revelation says that God will now make his dwelling place, will tabernacle with man. Hallelujah. See, God's great plan is going to be fulfilled. We've had four of them fulfilled. We're waiting for the next one, and it could be any time. Any time. As I said, purely selfishly, I, it would be great if it was next week. Wow, that would be so, that make me smile. Amen. Now, what I was telling you is that these seven feasts were also three harvest festivals. And I know I've taught on this before, but I want to refresh your, your mind on this because it's coming soon. In Exodus twenty three fourteen, God told the people, three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Three times a year you're going to have to come to Jerusalem. Thou shalt keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's really Passover because Unleavened Bread was a seven-day feast and it overlapped Passover and first fruits. Thou shalt eat Unleavened Bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed of the month Abib. That's what they used to call it before the Babylonian um, capture. And so today it's called Nisan. For in it thou camest out from Egypt and none... shall appear before me empty. See, that scripture always gets me. What am I going to bring to him? The wise men didn't come to Jesus empty, did they? They brought gifts. The greatest gift you can give to God, of course, is yourself. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So they were told they had to come on the Feast of Unleavened Bread and on the Feast of Harvest. Now the Feast of Harvest is actually Pentecost. The Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of your labors which thou hast sown in the field. And then the, the last feast was the Feast of Ingathering or Tabernacles, which is at the end of the year when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. So what this is telling us, that God had modeled three times he was going to harvest. And it models... The three groups of people who are going to be in the first resurrection. 
That's what this is telling us. There are going to be three groups of people. The barley, the wheat, and the oil, and the wine. The first resurrection is clearly stated in Revelation 20, verse 6. And this whole lesson is called the harvest year. Because at the beginning of the year, farmers plant different crops to come in at certain times during the year. In Israel, the first crop was the barley, and then 50 days later was the wheat, and there were several other crops, but the last crops were the oil, in other words, the, the, the olive oil, the olives, and the grapes, or the oil and the wine. Revelation 20 verse 6 is a very key scripture, because it tells us when the harvest year ends. It tells us when the harvest year ends. It says, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death hath no power. Jesus said, rather fear him that hath power to destroy both the body and the soul. Destroying the soul is the second death. Well, if you're in the first resurrection, on such, the second death hath no power. Well, what is the promise? But they, that's me and you, shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's, that's the key. You want to be in the first resurrection. If you're in the first resurrection, you're not being judged by your works. You're being judged by his works. My works aren't so good. No matter how hard I try, there's, there's parts of my work that are ugly. You don't want to know. I want to keep them hidden. But they can be hidden in the blood of Christ. Amen. Washed in the blood. Redeemed from the curse of the law. So Revelation 20 tells us when the harvest year ends. It's those that are blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. So when did it start? Well, when did the harvest year start? Well, we know that too because scripture tells us. So I'm going to do this little timeline. So we know when the end of it is because the scripture in Revelation 12 tell, uh, tells us that it's the harvest of the oil and the wine in Revelation 14, 18. And that's the end of the first resurrection. So if you're not in that, you're in trouble. Here is where it tells us, Revelation 24, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived... And reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, why is that interesting? These people had been beheaded. And yet the Bible says here, and they lived. So that is a resurrection. So what this is saying, that there is a harvest, the last harvest of the oil and wine, is at the end of the tribulation. Because it said they had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark of... In other words, they were martyred during the tribulation. But they lived and reigned with Christ. And it tells us that these people, in verse 6, were in the first resurrection. 
For verse 5 says, but the rest of the dead live not again. So what it's telling us is there was a resurrection here. The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. Here's where it is plain as day. What does it say? This is the first resurrection. Clear as day. So what it's saying is the first resurrection ends, the harvest year ends, when those people who have been through the tribulation and were killed are resurrected. That's when it ends. You've got to get into it before that. You've got to get into it before that because that is the end of the first resurrection. So when does it start? Well, the Bible tells us that too. It tells us that Jesus was the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. When did he rise? It was the barley harvest. So the harvest here, the spiritual harvest here, is from the time Christ died until he comes again and sets up his kingdom. If you're not in it by then, it's too late. It's too late. So this tells us the first and the last group, the two, there are three harvests, and this tells us the first group is the first fruits. The last group is the oil and the wine. So, sometime since Christ died to when the tribulation starts, the Bible calls that the time of the Gentiles, or we call it the church age. And so far, it's lasted 1,991 years because Christ was crucified in AD 31. And today the date is 2022. You take 31 from 2022 and that's 1900. So, so far the church age has lasted 1,991 years. At some point, that middle arrow is going to happen. At some point, we're going to start the tribulation. And the Bible tells us that that will be seven years. Seven years. Some point in that seven years, we're going to have the wheat harvest. So we've had the first fruits, which was Jesus Christ, and all of those who were resurrected. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, the graves were open, and the saints, the first fruits. And we know the, the harvest of the oil and wine, which is at the end. The one that's unknown, which we don't know the date, is the one that we want to be in, where he says, watch and pray and look out. The Bible says the porter at the door should give warning. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm fulfilling my job. I'm the watchman on the tower. And I'm telling you, it's soon. Sometime in the middle, we don't know the date, sometime it's going to happen. Hebrews 7.17 tells us this. For he testified, speaking about Jesus, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the Jewish priesthood, you could only be in that if you were of the tribe of Levi. But when Jesus died, as I say every Sunday now almost, the veil tore in two. There was a new priesthood. And the beauty of it is that we can become kings and priests. And God said that he was founding a new order of priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but every man in his own order. When they're reaping the harvest, they don't reap all the stuff at one time. First was the barley, then was the wheat, then 50 days after was pomegranates and all of the other agricultural products. Lastly, the oil and the wine. So this is what the Bible is saying. Christ was the first fruits. Then every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. So who are these other people that were resurrected with Christ? I know I've taught it before, but just to refresh your memory. The Bible tells us that these were Jehovah's Witnesses. No. (laughs) That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithsoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So there are three groups the barley, and that's Israel, the Jews, the wheat, which is us, the church, and then the tribulation saints, and the people who died before Christ. Those are the three groups, those are the three harvests that are going to happen in the harvest year. Now, I'm going to, we have about 10 minutes left. I'm going to just try and get through the first fruits. So there was a resurrection, a bodily resurrection, when Christ resurrected. It was not just a soul resurrection. Because it says, and the bodies of the saints. And this is prophesied in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 26, 19, it says, thy dead men, who was Isaiah prophesying to? Gentiles or the Jews? The Jews. He was a prophet to Israel. He says, thy dead men shall live. How? Together with my dead body. It was a prophecy that when Jesus arose, some Jews were going to come up with him. Shall they arise, awake and sing ye that dwell in the dust. For thy dew is as the dew of the herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Matthew twenty-seven fifty. And when Jesus cried again with a loud voice, He yielded up the ghost. And behold, verse 51, the veil of the temple was rent or torn in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And here's verse 52. And the graves were opened. And many bodies, not souls, bodies of the saints which slept arose. Not everybody, but a certain chosen elect were resurrected and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. They were seen. So who are these people? Why were they chosen? Revelation 7 verse 1, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal Of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty four thousands of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses say it's them. But of course, they're not of the tribes of the children of Israel. 
These were the 144,000 that were specially resurrected. Now, why and how and who? Well, who are they? Well, let's look. The Bible gives us some special characteristics about them. It says, of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So unless you can tell what tribe you came from, you're not in it. They were redeemed from the earth. They are virgins. In their mouth was found no guile. They, they, they were not deceitful. For they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, nobody living right now fulfills that. There's only one type of human being that fulfills that today. And you all should know it. Babies. Babies. There's only, the only category that could fulfill that, that is totally innocent, that are virgins... Are babies. And this is who they were. The babies. Which babies? Let's let's go back to the scripture. When Jesus was born and Herod found out that the wise men had not come back and told him where Jesus was. You know what he ordered? All of the babies around the coast. Meaning in his entire jurisdiction. He wanted all the babies from zero to two years killed. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wrath and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast, means all the surrounding area that he controlled, from two years old and more, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now here's what gives us the interpretation of this and makes it so plain. Verse 17 tells us that this was a fulfillment of of the prophecy of Jeremiah. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard and lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. He killed, I'm, I'm believing, about 144,000 children. That's what he did. Innocents, virgins, they were babies. The scripture gives us more clues in Isaiah 53, 7, speaking about Jesus. He said, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? You know what it's saying? There was no children in his generation because... 99.9% .9 of them had been killed. Who is going to declare his generation? When Jesus came back to Nazareth, there was probably very few children his age. They were either older than him or younger than him. But there was this two-year gap where nearly all of the babies in Herod's kingdom had been killed. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. So a whole generation was wiped out by Herod. These are the ones that were resurrected. Hosea 9.16 says, another prophecy, Ephraim, that means Israel, is smitten. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Yea, though they bring forth, yet will I slay even the beloved fruit of the womb. Genesis 30 verse 2, 
And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel because she could not bear any children at first. And he said, Am I in God? said, Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the room? Remember now we're talking about the resurrection of the first fruit. Jeremiah 31, 15. Here is the prophecy that was pointed to, and I'm almost finished. Thus saith the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted. You know, they've killed so many children. I think there's going to be more children in heaven than there are going to be people, grown-ups, because they were not. But here is the key. The rest of the prophecy gives us the answer. Yes, Rachel was weeping for her children. But the prophecy doesn't end there. It says, for thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears. For thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord. And they, these children that were killed, they shall what? Come again from the land of the enemy. Where's the land of the enemy? That's death. So that's why when Jesus died, the graves were open and Together with him were the first fruits, these innocents. Verse 17 goes on to say, And there is hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. If you could stand with me. Romans eleven fifteen says, for, for if the casting away, speaking about Israel, be the reconciling of the world, because Israel rejected God, if, if their rejection meant hope for the Gentiles. What shall be the receiving them but life from the dead? That's a resurrection. For the first fruit be holy. Because the children were innocent, they were babies. The lump also is holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there, but I just we just covered the first fruit. See the gardener has a plan. The gardener has a plan. If we will just stay under the hand of the gardener, if we will be planted and rooted in him, he has promised us that wherever he is, we shall be there also. Hallelujah. Amen. God is a good God. God is an awesome God. And there is a second harvest coming. We know when the first one, we know when the last one, but there's another one coming and that's for us. That's for us. That's for me and you. He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence, for your anointing, for your word that uplifts, that saves, that washes, that cleanses, that delivers, that heals. Lord, we look forward to your soon coming. Lord, help us, O oh God, to be ready, to be watchful. Hallelujah. To make our calling and election sure. Lord, we lift up your name and we thank you for blessing. Lord, we ask for an outpouring in our second service. Let your word go forth unhindered. Lord, receive our praise and our worship. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Let's give God another praise offering.